Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. G'day and welcome to The Call, 10 Stocks Picked by you 2 Experts. One hour, it is Tuesday, the 12th of September. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our two experts on the show today, Philip Pepe from Shore & Partners, and David Lane from Audmanet. And a treat, you're both in the studio. That's right. Fantastic stuff. Happy to be here. All right, and um, well, let's uh, take a preview of what stocks we're going to be looking at. In fact, um, we're going for the heavy hitters today for some reason, but um, I, I think that pleases uh, both our experts uh, for them. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, Newcrest Mining, BHP, Rio, Woodside and Santos. So first half of the show, very much resource heavy. Uh, now, speaking of which, uh, our sector of the day, we'll get to that in a moment. It is gold. Just before we get there, Philip, how are you looking at the market at the moment? And what, like a different outlook from analysts that I'm hearing at the moment, just as far as where we're likely to go towards the end of the year. So much of this, of course, is depending on what's going on with the macro picture. Sure. What's your view? It seems to be coming out of the June reporting season is that analysts have taken the view that things are selling, but not as fast as we thought, like particularly some of the bigger cap stocks. Um, although there may have been some earnings downgrades, some of the stocks, and we'll talk about them later, actually outperformed the broader market. So there's probably a lot of pessimism built into share prices leading into the results. And then the results came and they're like, oh, Okay, things things weren't so bad. Yeah, mm. costs went up, but mm. revenue demand generally held up okay. So some are taking the view, okay, well, we know it's coming, we just push it out 12 months' time. But so far, a number of the stocks or sectors that analysts were concerned about actually held up relatively okay. Well, consumer being once, yeah. isn't it? That actually yeah. surprised many. Well, a lot of the consumer stocks in particular, some of them really tanked into the result mm. as analysts were downgrading and there was all pessimism. Even though retail sales said, things were okay. There was a view that our discretionary spend has to crunch, interest rates are up, mortgage repayments are up, uh, cost of heating and petrol are up, Um, but so is employment. Um, And there's people working multiple jobs, we've still got full employment, there's people getting pay rises. Um, So the consumer and those related to the consumer sector are holding up okay. Mm. So maybe the crunch will come but people are managing their finances better than first thought, perhaps because people did save some money uh, during COVID when they couldn't travel, couldn't buy a new car, maybe some of the extra cash ended up in bank accounts. Uh, but consumers are generally managing their balance sheets okay. And we saw that in some of the banks data that the bad debts didn't really tick up in any major way. So I think the Australian economy is proving resilient, may change in 12 months time, yeah. uh, but for the, the season that just went, I think most people breathe a sigh of relief and went, okay, so things aren't terrible. In some cases, are they as good as they get? Mm. Uh, in other cases, perhaps, well, things aren't as bad as first thought and it's onwards and upwards. Yeah, resilient Australian economy. David, would you agree? And, and you know, have you readjusted perhaps your outlook uh, as a result? Yeah, I do agree that it is. it has been a very resilient Australian economy and that we have, as Philip said, the 
the earnings season wasn't as bad as what a lot of analysts had thought. From a macro point of view, we're still fairly cautious and particularly about the US and the fact that the, the Fed probably needs more work to do. But locally, we're getting to a point where the Reserve Bank may have one more rate rise, may not, uh, that we are starting to get you know, inflation under control. And you know, really at the moment, we're seeing a bit of a divergence between what we're seeing at the macro level and from a bottom-up point of view, there's actually really a lot of value in particularly a lot of the, the small caps and emerging growth companies that reported pretty well, still having good profit results. So, yeah, there is certainly pockets of value there. Um, but then when we look across the, the, the broader market and you know, a number of the large stocks that we'll look at today aren't necessarily cheap. But if you've got them in your portfolio, you, you'd probably be very happy to be holding them. Yeah, okay. Well, in fact, uh, if we're talking of sectors, one sector we're focused on, which is our sector of the day, as it happens, is gold. I should bear in mind also, we've got the special investor event coming up um, at Ausbiz uh, on Thursday from 11am Eastern, where we'll be talking about the outlook for gold and those gold stocks. So I'd be really interested to get the view of both uh, Philip and David here uh, ahead of that. Of course. Now, this uh, also comes after RBC has just given a significant boost to its target for the gold price. And for the miners, uh, it comes on the heels of the decision to raise their gold price predictions for the calendar year of 24 by around 16%. Uh, but it, uh, they do see potential near-term downsides for the precious metal due to the uncertain containment of inflation targets before that rebound occurs. A mild recession is forecast to develop in later 24, that's their outlook. If the recession deepens, we could see average gold prices ranging between 2200 and 2300 US dollars an ounce. On the other hand, if the economy experiences a softer landing and maintains stable monetary conditions, we may see prices dip to an average of $1,800 an ounce. So uh, that upgraded gold forecast by RBC translates to an average uh, 11% boost to the price in targets. Uh, all right, so David, Gold. Would you be buying those gold stocks at the moment? Some of them, yeah. I think that there is actually very good value in in many of the gold stocks. We have seen that the the outlook for gold, as you said, is is quite positive. And medium and longer term, we've got a, a positive view on the the gold price as well. But many of the gold Australian gold producers are, are still trading at a fairly decent discount to um, you know to the current price. So yes, we do see that there are. Um, a number of stocks that are a very good value in there. Um, we do like the likes of Romelius and Silver Lake Resources. We've got buy recommendations on them. Gold Road, which is another emerging producer, is, is one of the stocks that we like as well. Um, and then we'll talk about Newcrest in a bit more detail in, in, the, in the next stock. All right. Are you willing to go into the explorer space? Uh, tend to prefer not to. Um, you know, Gold Road is, is one of those ones that's emerging. Yeah. So they've they've got their resource and they're building that out. Um, yeah, there's a couple. We've got a, a speculative buy on Pantero and Red 5, uh, which are you know, more in that, um, in that explorer type space. Yeah. Uh, but historically, yeah, that's a, a speculative end of the market. There's a lot of people who like to, to play there. Um, to be honest, I don't spend too much time trying to bet which one's going to succeed or not. Okay. 
Philip, your view? And, and I guess, you know, we saw out of earnings season two, those costs remaining an issue for a lot of producers at the moment. Costs are definitely an issue, particularly <coughs> if you're WA-based. Very tight labour market in WA. We're trying to import some more, but it's still quite tight. Um, but it's interesting, those gold price forecasts, we like gold. Currently, it's about 1900 an ounce or thereabouts. Yep. We think it should be higher, above 2000 So if, if we're going into a recession or a slowdown, we probably will see that $2,200 um, an ounce. Not pricing that in at the moment, but the other thing we're forgetting is with the Aussie dollar weakening, our Australian-based producers paying Australian dollars in costs are exporting at a higher Aussie dollar price. Mm. Now, some of them are hedged, but you have the perfect storm where your costs are in Aussie dollars, you're, but you're selling uh, in US. Mm. So that you, your cost base is local, but your, your revenue is going up. Your cost base is not being affected by inflation, uh, by, by currency, maybe some um, labour input costs, but not by the, the, um, the Aussie dollar. So unless they're hedged, those jaws are opening. So to be an Australian producer at the moment with the currency weakening, because the view the market seems to be taking is we may not get any more rate rises and we mm. may get a cut next year. If, if we get um, US dollar uh, gold over 2100, 2200 and the Aussie dollar falling, that's great news for our domestic producers because your costs aren't changing um, and you're getting higher revenue. So yep. we very much like the gold space, especially if you're an Aussie producer. So yeah, I'd be favouring an investment in space. Not just for hedging reasons, because if we do go, you know, other stocks will fall if we go into a recession, but for a hedge point of view and from an increasing the jaws point of view, I think gold stocks are worth a look at if they're Aussie producing stocks. Any particular ones? You, you're favouring the larger producers or are you From a risk point lower? of view, um, Large is always better. I own Northern Star, pays a good dividend. Uh, performance being mixed, but I, I kind of like that one. Um, if, if it's You don't buy a resource stock for a dividend, but if it's spitting out cash and paying a dividend, isn't spending too much on capital expenditure, I think, I think it's worth a look. All right, and once again, uh, as I asked David, any interest down at the other end of the spectrum with the explorers? Uh, look, we do. Um, we like the explorers. The issue with the explorers is they can burn cash in the, in the short term until they find something. Uh, so if you truly nervous the market, you're better off something producing cash rather than burning cash. So I would steer to the larger caps just for the next 12 months as, as we work out where the economy is actually going. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's the sector being gold. And as it happens, our first stock is a gold mining stock. It is Newcrest. And um, it's uh, FY24 guidance, largely mixed. Uh, once again, uh, costs uh, an issue there. Uh, CapEx was better than expected. But of course, the big story here is the fact that it's subject to that takeover offer from Newmont. Uh, in fact, Newcrest shareholders will be voting on that on October the 13th. Um, so Philip, how do you view Newcrest then? Well, it's interesting because it, it is all about the takeover, and yep. it's it's I think the equivalent takeover price is around twenty six dollars. The share price is just below that. So, as usual, case you never price in the full um, probability of the takeover when there's a vote coming, so it might go wrong. Uh, but it's pretty close to fair value. And interesting, the potential is to pay a dividend dollar ten US, fully franked. So call it dollar sixty five plus another seventy cents in franking. So. I wouldn't buy it at this price, but if you owned it for the sake of four weeks, uh, I would hang on for the special divvy um, and um, save yourself some brokerage and sell sell it to the uh, sell it to the acquirer, take the special divvy and the franking, yeah, and um, put the money in the bank. Is there a risk 
of you know when the company is subject to a takeover because it you know may not be approved. Um, what, what what is the risk there? The, the risk is that um, a shareholder comes out and says it's undervalued, should be higher. Um, you're not paying a takeover premium, etc., etc. Um, I haven't checked the share register of this company. I'm not sure. I'm not aware that there's a blocking stake, but there's always a risk. But I believe it's been board approved. So yeah. whenever it's unanimous board recommendation. The board's willing to endorse it, so there is some risk. Yeah, but uh, there's suddenly trading a small discount to the theoretical price. So you'd say the share market's saying it's likely to go ahead. So we'll just wait it out for the next four weeks. More time value of money in the discount rather than the, something comes out of left field. Um, and assuming it does go ahead, once that disappears from the the local market, then what's the likely effect on the other miners? Do you think? Uh, typically, uh, I mean, it's a large company, so I think Newcrest market cap is uh, $23 billion. Um, so that'll get, I mean, you get you get the Newmont shares. Yep. So that's offshore. A number of Aussie investors will not be able to hold those. Um, if you're an Aussie fund, you can't own offshore shares, so you might you'll be a forced seller. Um, so let's say people cash out. Um, they'll be investing, in, they'll be reinvested into other um Aussie gold stocks, uh, Newcrest, um, Northern Star Evolution, or uh, Northern Star and Evolution, um, all looking reasonably attractive on a PE basis. They all pay small dividend yields, you don't buy them for dividend. But um, same dynamics, um, yeah, I suspect some of that money will go into Northern Star and Evolution. Yep. Um, if, if the fund is selling, want to maintain their sector exposure, then there's no reason not to, given what we discussed earlier on. All right, David. Yeah, I, we actually like Newcrest. We've got an accumulate recommendation on it. Um, it it's a, a great business, great miner. It's got 20 year life in most of its resources. So it's a, it's a long-term play. It's one of the only gold producers that, that pays a meaningful dividend. So from a portfolio point of view, it's a good quality stock. And obviously Newmont see it as, as a good quality acquisition as well. Uh, so we think that there is a little bit of upside in it, depending upon the, the Newmont share price as to what that ultimate value is. But we think it's probably worth about $33. Uh, I think there is a proposal that under the, the takeover that the Newmont shares will be listed through a depository receipt here. But as Philip said, some of the fund managers might not be able to hold it, but individual investors you know, may well have uh, the ability to, to own that and end up being a shareholder of a, a, a significantly larger mm. um, you know, dominant gold miner globally. So you know, there, there is the potential there to, to have that exposure longer term. Um, but we think it's yeah it's it's a good business at you know, reasonable value, um, so we're going to accumulate on it. Yep. All right. Okay. So that is Newcrest, our first stock. Let's move on. And as I said, first half of the show, very much um, staying uh, digging deep into the into the resources space. Our next stock is the biggest of them all, BHP, and um, it did flag near term cautious outlook for iron ore. Although the iron ore price surprising many, given where it is at the moment, in fact, it jumped four uh, percent over the past twenty-four hours. Um, and of course, yeah, the concern there being just that anticipated steel production cut, uh, certainly out of China, which is the the biggest buyer. Uh, it is ramping up future-facing commodities such as copper, nickel, also has potash. Um, David, it's looking to be more diversified, miner, isn't it? It's starting to be. Yeah, it's still very dominant iron ore, but over time, I think at the moment, iron ore is about 60% of its profits. Over time, the forecast is that that'll come 
back to around 45 to 50% of their overall profits and copper and nickel will will increase as well as potash so uh it's interesting yeah they, they've recently taken over oz minerals to get exposure to, to copper there um many years ago they floated off south 32 because they didn't want to be involved in a lot of the the assets that they're now wanting to get back into um so very much iron ore is is dependent upon china uh and as you said we saw that that spike recently or overnight but medium and longer term, the concerns are that the Chinese economy is in a slowdown and could well be in a sustained slowdown. Uh, so you know, we see if you've got BHP in your portfolio, and most of my clients do, you'd be holding them. I think at current levels, they're, they're fair value. Uh, but at the moment, don't see any compelling reason to be buying them. Philip. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I completely agree. Um, well, it's hard to avoid, isn't it, really? And you shouldn't avoid it. I mean, I've had over 20 years of people telling me where they think commodity prices are going. <laughs> uh, and you, you can guess 50% what, of the time, they're right. Uh, that's that's generous. Um, so the, the bears will say, yeah, um, BHP's now got a decent copper business, still predominantly iron ore. Iron ore price is heading to seventy to eighty dollars US a ton. I've been hearing that for three months. It's mm. still above a hundred bucks a ton, so we can't even predict three months. Um, so we don't know. So if we don't know, you spot at spot. Company actually looks okay. So is China going to slow? Been hearing that since the Olympics. So yeah, <laughs> it, it will one day. Uh, but we're still producing a lot of iron ore, and the iron ore producers aren't pulling back their volumes. Um, it doesn't seem so. So they've got costs going up, but their volumes are, are remaining steady. So I'm going to call it a hold because on analysts, um, on our, on consensus forecast, there's about a 10% total shareholder return net if you believe believe the forecast. So. That includes the so call it fair value. So unless we're going, if we wake up tomorrow and I know is at seventy cents, so seventy bucks, we've got some major problems. Yeah. Not only is BHP going down, the whole share market's going down. Um, but I would call it a hold. It's you know you saw the share prices traded sideways for most of the last twelve months because analysts just don't know. So it's a big company. Put it in the portfolio. Uh, leave it in the bottom drawer. It'll be somewhere where it is, or maybe slightly higher in five years' time. And focus on some other stocks. Well, as we were talking about, it's not just iron ore. What do you make of their, their strategy, sort of, you know, in terms of future-facing commodities? They uh, need to diversify. I mean, they're also in coal. So, I mean, that hasn't proven to be a good investment. No one's really making a lot of money out of coal at the moment. Coal price is going backwards. Um, I think the move back into copper is uh, sensible. Some of the lead indicators for copper are also the lead indicators for iron ore. Uh, so I guess supply and demand will differ, but if if, cop, if iron ore collapses over time, you'd think copper is not going anywhere. Um, but they sh- if they bought well and they can get some extract some synergies um, out of what they bought, um, manage the company better than the predecessor, then there should be some EPS accretion. But smart to diversify. Investors can diversify better than companies can diversify. Mm. Um, is or remains my view. So they've made their acquisitions. That's fine. They should just run the business, um, get the maximum cash as they can. If they can't redeploy their capital, do a share buyback, pay a dividend, um, give the money back to shareholders. Um, we've seen with some of the coal companies, you know, Whitehaven, for example, spinning out a lot of cash. They can't use it, so it's gone back to shareholders through a buyback or special divvy. So they're still yep. producing plenty of cash. Give it back to the shareholders. Shareholders will put it to work elsewhere. 
All right, that's PHP. Well, let's go uh, a little smaller, but still a very large um, iron ore miner, uh, particularly Rio Tinto then, Philip. Um, net profit was down about 34% for the first half. That's once again based on those lower commodity prices, higher uh, costs. Uh, just in terms of CapEx, uh, Samandu, I think in the Republic of Guinea, that's where it's spending at the moment, trying to ramp up that joint venture it has there. Yeah. So look, again, predominantly iron ore producer, 70% of its profits were iron ore in the first half. It also does some aluminium. I, I've actually seen those sites. I don't get aluminium. It's You're basically exporting electricity. Right? Mm. It takes a lot of power to create aluminium. I think they've written off a lot of those assets anyway. So they do some other things. They're still 70, 80% iron ore. Again, analysts keep saying iron ore price are falling. And interestingly, the Rio price relatively has perform more poorly versus valuations than BHP. There's actually um, closer to a 6% total shareholder return expected in Rio Tinto. So I'm going to call this one a buy because yeah. there's so much um, pessimism in terms of where the iron ore price is going. It's a bit yeah. like where inflation is going, where interest rates are going. It's probably going to take longer to get there than analysts think. So I think given relatively low expectations for Rio versus BHP, and I think they're predominantly more iron ore than um, BHP is. Um, so on the basis of uh, valuation discount, I'm gonna call Rio a buy because I think analysts are just crunching the iron ore price too quickly. It's easy to put into a spreadsheet. Reality can sometimes take a bit longer. Yeah. You haven't got CapEx costs, but again, if they're producing cash, um, give it back to shareholders. Uh, right. I just think this one is just, relatively speaking, it's underperformed. Uh, so I'm going to call it a buy. Just just quickly rounding out the top three, if you like, in the iron ore space. Yeah. What's your view on Fortescue then? It's been a lot of CEO changes. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> turmoil yeah. at the top, absolutely. Um, and obviously some yeah. dynamics about what the future holds, yeah. So for that reason alone, I would put it aside. Yeah. Management's important to any company. Um, I don't follow that closely. I think he's had, is it five, three to five senior? Something like that. Five yeah. plus, if you include lower levels of management, maybe five to 10 senior management changes in the last two years. Mm. He's going green, he's not going green, he's got these side funds, he's, you know, what, what's, what's he focused on? I just put it too hard, um, too hard basket for the time being. Yep. Just uh-huh. if, if you didn't own it, set it aside. You've got BHP and Rio to choose from. Yeah. Um, not as dominant, you know, you don't have the dominant founder still in the business. Um, perhaps more minority shareholder focused as opposed to what Fortescue may or may not be. So yeah, I prefer BHP and Rio over mm. Fortescue. Okay. David, Rio. Yeah, Philip makes a very good point that we can't necessarily easily predict the, the iron ore price and both Rio Tinto and BHP are at the low end of the, the cost scale. So. They are making very, very good money and will continue to make very, very good money on on producing iron ore. So uh, Rio iron ore takes up about 84% of its its overall profit. Uh, So if you are looking for that longer term um, exposure to to iron ore, Rio's a a very good business. It's been very well managed over time. Their dividend yields about 6.4% and that is fully franked. The, The view is from our, our analysts is that they probably won't increase that and we could even see a reduction in the dividend over time. And what really the miners need to do, not just BHP and Rio, but globally, is actually invest in new mines. And we haven't really seen much of that occurring over the last five years or so. Um, 
be it Rio is a very good business, uh, but at current levels, we've got a fair value of about $107. They're trading about 114 so we've got a hold recommendation on it at the moment. Okay. Okay, that's Rio Tinto. Now, let's get into energy. And uh, Woodside, uh, the biggest there, it's uh, first half earnings and dividend, uh, interim dividend in line with uh, market expectations, uh, essentially. Uh, just in terms of what's ahead, um, it's still in the process of developing its Scarborough project. I think that's 8% or thereabouts complete. Um, and it's still facing regulatory approval, I think, just in terms of laying the, the pipeline, sub, uh, subsea pipeline there and infrastructure. Um, so, and I guess also keeping an eye on industrial action. Uh, managed to avoid it thus far, but of course we're seeing with Chevron at the moment, they run into problems. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that uh, that plays out. David, what are your thoughts then on Woodside? We like Woodside. We think it's a, it's a very good business. Um, their result, as you said, was a, a bit impacted by costs and, and by the consumption of the BHP petroleum assets that, that they bought 12 or 18 months ago. Uh, but overall, we think it's it's very well positioned. Our valuation on the stock is $45, so we've got a, an accumulate recommendation on it. Uh, I think generally the, the market for, for LNG is, is positive. We've seen that the, the government is requiring the, the producers to actually uh, talk about their, their contracted uh, supply and effectively what, what the... Um, the disclosures are saying is that we're well and truly undersupplied, uh, so we've got way too much demand for uh, you know, for the the commodity. So I think medium and longer term, it's a it's a great space to be in. And, and Woodside have done very well with their LNG exports. So yeah, we've got accumulate recommendation on it. Are you, I mean, I was uh, I spoke to Meg O'Neill uh, off the back of the results, and she was very much playing up, you know, as you would expect her to say that gas used in the energy um, uh, as we you know as we move to renewables it's going to play a more and more impar- um, uh, yeah. important role I mean do you agree with that oh absolutely and I think that's becoming uh, more and more realistic because for a while their gas was was um, you know characterized as a fossil fuel but I think the realization is that yes renewable energies will be part of the the future mm. but it won't be the whole part Hydrogen is very expensive and a long way down the track, at least a decade away. Uh, so I definitely, I think gas has to play a, a bigger and bigger <coughs> part. As well, um, despite some governments trying to head that off in the past with the, like, the Victorian government, obviously, right. with new builds, putting a cap on that, and also like the you know, city of Sydney and so on. Yeah, but the problem is, if we get to a point where we don't have enough energy to turn the lights on, yeah, um, the people are going to start to talk. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Philip. I'm going to call it a hold. Uh, it, it's had a good run over two years. It's kind of flat with some volatility over 12 months. I think part of the issue with the oil price and LNG price have come off in the last three months. Um, and commodity stocks do tend to follow commodity prices. I'm, I'm not an expert in the area, but the correlation does hold. Um, you can see on that chart, it's flat over 12 months, fantastic rebound since 2021. I would take some profits. Um, they do have some, um, you know, regulatory risk. Uh, not a lot, but some uh, commodities in the short term, at least, moving against them. 
I wouldn't be buying at this point. Um, back foot by maybe, but I would take some profits. So I would call that a genuine hold. I think it did pay a decent divvy with its last result. Um, but ex-colleague mine used to say you don't buy a resource company for a dividend. Um, yeah. yeah, based on recent commodity price moves and debate LNG versus nuclear versus other clean and green, um, I'd say that's approaching fair value. So I would call it um, a hold. Okay. All right, let's stay in that space and oil and gas with Santos, our fifth stock. And I guess the news there is it sold, what, 2.6% of its PNG LNG project. Um, its uh, earnings forecast, look at one broker, in fact, can't remember which one, but uh, forecasting uh, those earnings going to come off by between 5 and 7% due to higher plant costs. Um, so, Philip, what's your take then on Santos? It's interesting because the recent news has been around selling. I think it sold two and a half percent stake um, in one of its investments to um, a PNG Kumo. A partner, Kumo. Yeah. Uh, but they were originally were discussing five percent, but the purchaser didn't have the financing. So maybe there's another another two and a half percent to come uh, in a year or so's time. Yeah, in fact, I was some brokers saying they'd like to see more. Yeah, been sold. yeah. Do you buy a company? because it's selling off parts of its project. Um, clearly it needs the funding, interest rates, and other cost increases are impacting. Um, you don't buy a company because it's selling selling its business uh, if it needs equity, tap the equity market. So again, good run, fair value. Uh, if you, Again, if you're relying on someone else to buy part of their assets, you get diluted as a shareholder um, unless they pay a, a fair price for it. I'm gonna call this one an avoid. Um, mm. Buy Woodside if you need to, but that's just not a space. You can see the charts sort of trading sideways. Uh, it, it can be dead money for 12 months, two years, as we work out where the space is going. Um, so on that chart, I call it fully priced, or almost a sell. Just just don't buy, no other reason, don't buy a business because it's selling down its assets. Buy it because it's growing uh, yeah. organically. So for no other reason other than that, I'll, I'll call it a sell. Yeah, okay, David. Yeah, we've got a different take. Uh, we like it and, and think that uh, it is actually growing as far as the the oil production. So forecasts are that it should double its production by 2028. Uh, so have about 180 million barrels of oil equivalent um, over that period of time. It does generate very, very strong cash flow. Uh, and the, it's more geared towards oil than gas than, than Woodside is. But uh, you know, again, in the, in the short to medium term, oil will continue to be uh, a commodity that, that uh, people require. Uh, our valuation is, is well above where the share price is. So they're currently trading about 770. Our valuation's are 1230 on, on Santos. So we've actually got some, some fairly positive um, long-term outlook for it. Uh, so we've again got an accumulate recommendation on it. All right, different perspective there on Santos. Well, let's uh, let's round out where we've been for the first half of the show then. Our stock of the day, in fact, it was a sector of the day where we're looking at gold and both agreeing if we see that economic slowdown and then the gold price is likely to appreciate. And uh, David's saying, uh, yes, uh, they are uh, buying there. They're liking resorts, um, Romelia, Silver Lake, Gold Road. In the explorer space, less so, but uh, David's saying Patero and Red 5 would be specky buyers. Uh, Philip, more of a um, looking at the, the big producers there, uh, Northern Star uh, being what top of your list there. Uh, 
Um, now that leads us into the first stock as picked by you, which is Newcrest Mining. Now, of course, subject to that takeover from uh, Newmont, the largest uh, gold miner around. It's, um, it's a hold from Philip uh, saying just worth to be there given the special dividend. Um, and also, as to if it does eventually go through that, that takeover, he said, look, you can see perhaps some of those larger miners that are left there, such as Northern Star Evolution, standing to benefit, uh, particularly if uh, some of those fund managers are, are forced to sell. David, he's got an accumulator on it, saying it's uh, what it's looking at a fairly attractive price at this point. Um, then into the biggest miner of them all, BHP, a hold from both, uh, David said, so not buying though, obviously wary of what's going on in China at the moment, particularly given how it's affecting the iron ore price. Uh, Philip seeing fair value there. Rio Tinto, once again, it is all about uh, iron ore. It is a buy though from uh, Philip, uh, preferring more, we're seeing more upside there than BHP, given how it's performed thus far. Uh, David though has a hold on it. Um, Wary once again, given it's generating 84% of its profits from iron ore. In the energy space, Woodside, an accumulate from David. They've got, in fact, they've got a price target of $45. It's currently sitting just below 38. And Philip, a hold, in fact, a more likely to take profits there, uh, particularly given the regulatory risk. And Santos, an avoid or a sell from Philip and an accumulate there from David. All right, let's uh, check in with our or the calls uh, high conviction fund that's picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live for you to watch at elspiz.com. So checking in on the update. Going into this month, Paradigm Pharma outs giving way to Challenger, which also received 1% trims from each of Altium and Paladin. So thus far, our fund is up more than 10.5% on a cumulative return basis since inception, the beginning of March last year. So keep sending in the request, get the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Next half, we're taking a look at, once again, we're staying very much to the large caps there, Commonwealth Bank, NAB, Macquarie Group, uh, Transurban and Goodman Group. All right, so let's get into the banks, CBA uh, and, um, I guess once again, this is um, a story with the banks, uh, potentially higher bad debts, softer margins. Phil, when you take a look at the big banks or across the banking sector, how do you rate CBA? I think all four big banks outperformed the market in the in the in the, in the lead up in the post results. Uh, post FY30 um, financial year in results because there was a lot of bad news baked in. Not all of them are June reporters, but some of them put out quarterly. So they actually did okay. So um, credit growth is slowing and it hasn't stopped. Um, maybe some of the business lending was needing, but still, we're still getting home loans. Um, credit cards are slowing. Um, net interest margin is declining, but not as much as some people expected. The decline is taking longer. And the, the bad debts have been well managed. Every bank that I listened to or, or I spoke to said, we speak to our customers regularly, um, those who are theoretically um, experiencing mortgage stress and they're doing okay. So they've been managing their budgets better than people thought. Um, so the bad debt cycle that some thought was emerging hasn't yet emerged. Now some analysts said, okay, what's coming? We'll just push it out 12 months. Well, that's fine. But although we saw some EPS downgrades uh, at the sector level, we saw share prices rally because um, the downgrades weren't as bad as um, perhaps what were flagged. So 
CBA, it's the most expensive bank. It's the biggest bank when it wants to, it dominates. We saw up until March, it really dominated the home loans data um, win, in terms of winning market share and then paused to see what the others did because in their view, um, some of the pricing was too aggressive. So they sat back. Maybe they focus on more business banking going forward. Um, call this one a sell at your peril. Um, <laughs> valuation is only one thing to look at. It is expensive on valuation. If you look at consensus forecasts, um, you know, consensus has, uh, I believe it's got a decline, yeah, 11% capital loss factored in for CBA, and then you get a 4% dividend yield. Mm. I'll believe that when I see it. Um, so call it a sell at your peril. So I'm going to call it a hold because it's the biggest bank, one of the biggest companies in the market. They've managed the business well. They're doing a billion dollar plus buyback. They can pay a decent dividend if they want to. I just call it a hold. It's a bit like BHP. It's put in the bottom drawer. People tell you expensive. It'll be more expensive in five years' time. <laughs> yeah, if you look at it that way, absolutely. Uh, the share price sitting around hundred bucks. Yeah, is that a psychological barrier? It is. Um, it shouldn't be, but it is. Um, uh, analyst price targets are a little bit above that or a little bit below that. Um, once it stays, um, Macquarie was another one that um, the, pro the share price might have been a psychological barrier. It will be for some until people realise it's not important. So maybe in 12 months' time where it's comfortably above, just rolling forward the cost of capital, um, when it's potentially comfortably above $100, um, then that might become a flaw. Mm. So again, psychology, once it's sustainably above $100, then $100 is a flaw, not the cap. Yep. So yes, it's a, an issue at the moment. It shouldn't be. We need to get rid of the left half of that chart um, in a couple of years' time, and then you'll see that 100 bucks is the floor, and yeah. all the chartists will say, right, it's a, it's a new low, it's a, and onwards and upwards. Yeah, all right. Yeah, David, your view? Yeah, very, very similar sort of view. We've got a hold recommendation on it. Um, think that it is expensive. Uh, it's trading on a PE of 16 times, dividend yield of about 4.5%, fully frank. So it is more expensive than the, than the other banks. But then it's always been more expensive than the other banks. Uh, and as Philip said, it's it's dominant. They earned $10.2 billion in profit, uh, paying out very good dividends. If you are a financial nerd like me, uh, it's the best result to actually read um, because the CBA result goes into a lot of detail about the economy. So they've got a lot of data on their, their customers, where their home loans are, where they're spending money, demographics, etc. So it is actually a, a very interesting uh, result to, to look at. And I guess drawing the, the correlation, really the only risk for the banks is, is unemployment at the moment, because as Philip said, their bad debts are under control. While people are gainfully employed, they will continue to pay their mortgage. So at the moment, we, we don't really see too many risks as far as the, the banks are concerned. So. Yeah, if you've got CBA in your portfolio, as Philip said, you hold it and put it in the bottom drawer and, and collect the dividends. All right, so that's a double hold. So let's go just a little smaller then with that uh, as a point of comparison, as it so happens. Um, once again, I guess you've got that home lending competition, high deposit costs, partly although offset by those high um, interest rates. Um, net interest margins, yeah, once again, sort of under pressure there. So how do you rate NAB? And I guess if you do stack it up against CBA. Yeah. 
NAB is, uh, it's, as you said, it's smaller, but it's also the largest business bank. Uh, so whereas CBA is, is dominant in, in home loans, NAB has a, a dominant position as far as business banking is concerned. Generally, that's a higher margin business, but we have seen a little bit more pressure uh, as far as um, margins are concerned in that business banking. Probably the negative that came out in, in NAB's result was their costs were higher than, than expected. Uh, so that was a, a bit of a negative there. It's cheaper than CBA, but it's more expensive than the, than, than the other two. So we've got a hold recommendation on, uh, on NAB and we've actually got accumulate recommendations on ANZ and Westpac. So they're trading at a little bit of a discount to, um, to CBA and, and NAB at, at the moment. All right, Philip. Look, I tend to agree. I mean, NAB being the, the greater proportionate business lender, if there's a slowdown, you'll see it in businesses first, whereas consumers will scramble to pay the home loan repayments. And particularly small businesses say, well, I just can't afford that interest rate, so I'm not going to expand this year. I'll put it on hold. So it's not about can't pay my existing. I might roll my debt when it comes off my honeymoon rate, but my growth plans might get tempered by I can't get staff and I'm not paying that amount of debt. NAB's kind of stuck in the middle. My, my view on banks as a general is you either buy the big one, buy CBA, or buy the cheapest one with the highest div yield. So ANZ and Westpac offer both a high dividend yield and a lower PE than NAB. Uh, Westpac's got some costs out that it's trying to manage. And so NAB's kind of stuck in the middle. So I would call NAB a hold. Um, and from a valuation dividend yield point of view, I'd look at something like a Westpac, uh, which is a lower PE than most of them and pays a 6% fully frank dividend yield. Um, so I would prefer something like that rather than NAB who's sort of middle of the road on, on all counts, so no reason to own it, no reason to sell it. Either buy CBA or, or buy Westpac if you want an valuation and a high dividend. Sounds a bit boring, but nothing wrong with boring. <laughs> it's a bank. <laughs> it, it, it's a bank. What, um, look, we, you talk about the big four there and yeah. we're about to do Macquarie, but um, what about a little further down the pecking order there, some of those regional banks, you know, yeah. BOQ or Bendigo and Adelaide? What, how do you feel about those? They've materially underperformed. And as funding costs go up, they'll probably suffer from the lack of scale. And I've never come across this in my career. Um, you've got the Reserve Bank recommend, sorry, the ACCC recommending mm. bigger companies have a look at the smaller players. It's like, <laughs> your job is not to give strategic advice, yeah. your job is to say yay or nay. So yeah. when, when the ACCC is trying to block the Suncorp ANZ sale and say, why don't you have a look at the smaller players instead? There's a message in that. So I would avoid the smaller players because if, if, there, if there's a consumer who's more stretched, maybe the regions versus the CBDs, uh, and in terms of scale, in terms of getting costs of funding, you definitely favour the larger players. So the, the Bendigos um, and the BOQs definitely are a disadvantage versus the majors in a rising interest rate, rising um, credit uh, default environment. So I, I would avoid them, um, unless you're punting a takeover, which I tend not to do. I would uh, listen to the ACCC and um, <laughs> wait for the merger. Don't fire the regulator. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's uh, then move to Macquarie, which is well more diversified, isn't it? But it did update its uh, FY twenty four outlook, uh, signalling um, that asset realizations will occur predominantly in the second half rather than the first. Uh, and Phil, talk about 
the diversity of Macquarie. Is that is that a big plus for it at the moment? Look, definitely. Uh, it's a March year end, and it had a really strong year to March. Um, it dominated uh, everywhere. You know, funds management did well. Uh, commodities trading had a cracker of a year. They actually said, we can't repeat this, or it was so strong. Um, and they did really well, I think, at the time, just behind Commonwealth Bank in terms of winning market share in the home loans market. So they finished the year strong, and analysts upgraded their price targets, and as always happens, analysts upgrade <laughs> their earnings, upgrade their price target, push, you know, lift everything just enough to keep the buy rating or whatever, and then first quarter week week versus prior corresponding period because they said we can't maintain the strong growth rates we delivered in FY23. Analysts love to take last year's forecasts and grow them because that's what we do and, and, down, and down they went. Um, and I think it was, uh, again, talk about barriers, for a while 200 bucks was the um, the ceiling for Macquarie. So mm. when's it getting back to 200? Now it's nowhere near 200. So analysts all started increasing their price targets above 200 bucks when Macquarie went through. Now 170 is a barrier. Um, it's a flaw. I'm going to call this a hold. Great company. You, you want to own this one at the right price. It is a good long-term buy. Um, it's just typically don't buy stock after a downgrade. Um, let, let's see another three months. Let's see what the first six months look like. Let's see what happens with the global economy because they are pushing into the US. So if the US goes into recession, that's going to impact their ability to grow over there. Um, so I would... Keep an eye on this one with the intent to buy it at some stage, but I would wait for the half-year result just to see what the new base looks like and, and what their future looks like. But fantastic business, but probably fully priced it at two hundred bucks when it got to two hundred bucks. Yep, done. Yeah, pretty much agree with that. That we've uh, we've also got a hold recommendation on it. Um, think that their valuation currently is about one hundred and seventy-five dollars. Um, our analysts slightly downgraded forecasts uh, following their, their quarterly result, as you said. Um, so we've got a, a forecast that they'll grow their, their earnings by about 7%. Historically, though, Macquarie have a habit of under-promising and over-delivering. Uh, so there is some potential upside risk, I suppose, in that they've, they've actually pre-announced to the market it's going to be harder for us. It, um, you know, we're not going to be able to achieve that result and quite often they'll actually outperform that. Um, but it is a, a fascinating business. They've been dominant in, in most of the markets that they play in uh, and very, very well managed and continue to, to do a good job. And it gives you a little bit more interest in the portfolio. Um, I guess a, another stock that if you are looking for a similar sort of stock to buy, uh, we actually like MA Financial, which is often spoken yeah. about as a a mini mm. um, Macquarie Bank. We think that they're on very attractive fundamentals and probably have further upside. Um, so if you're looking for a, a new stock to add to the portfolio, that could be one. But if you've got Macquarie in there, I'd, I'd be holding them. Yeah, interesting. Um, it's push into home loans. I just discovered this because I'm sort of looking to refinance my own yep. uh, home loan and, and they have really attractive rates they're offering at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. They've yeah. done very, very well in, in that uh, home loan market. Uh, we were a few months ago talking to Suncorp Bank um, as they were talking about their, their potential merger with ANZ and, and one of the things that uh, Suncorp has found is that it's not the major banks, it's actually Macquarie Bank that, that was a lot more competitive in that home loan space. Yeah. Mm. All right, that is Macquarie. 
Let's uh, now move out of the financial sphere and get into Transurban, the uh, the toll road uh, operator. And um, I was just looking at a analysis there from City saying that um, aside from CityLink in Melbourne, and I think maybe one toll road in the States, all have recovered to pre-COVID levels. And um, does warn though, just in terms of roadworks in Sydney, potentially stymie some growth there. And of course the benefit with the stock also is that you've got that CPI related increases uh, given where interest rates have gone. So that is a positive scene as a defensive stock. David, how do you rate Transurban? Uh, we've got a hold recommendation on it and we did only recently change that from a lighten. Uh, so we did actually see that the share price has come down a reasonable amount and think that at current levels it's it's probably fair value. Um, it It's a good business. Uh, again, one of those long-term portfolio stocks that you can have in there, get a consistent income from it. It's not a fantastic dividend yield, but it's around 5%, 4.9% thereabouts. Uh, so you're getting a, a good long-term income on that. Um, and as you said, the most of the toll roads have recovered from from COVID, uh, and we're now getting out there again. The interesting part that they do have uh, is some of their technology, as far as the the toll roads in in North America in particular. That they they've actually got a um, a system where, depending upon the the traffic, they'll charge more or less. So it's a dy- dynamic pricing um, throughout the day. So yeah, they, they are working is that, with their is technology. Is that their own initiative or is that some regulatory pressure there in terms of trying to avoid peak hour you know, loads? Well, it's it's partly that, but it's yeah. their own technology. So it actually will have a sign there saying, well, at, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning, it might cost you $14 to drive, yeah. whereas at two o'clock in the morning, it might be uh, you know, $2. Mm. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, model. They haven't really implemented that in, here in Australia yet, but that could, could come in the future. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's an okay business. Um, yeah, we've got a hold on it at the moment. Okay. You don't sound thrilled, but you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's once again a safe stock, I it, guess. It's yeah. not the most exciting of stocks. Um, yeah. yeah, we, it's probably one of the only major infrastructure businesses that we've got listed on the market now. We used to have Sydney Airport and a, a number of others. Uh, so it does give you that exposure to, to infrastructure, um, but it's more of a, a bond-like return that you're looking mm. at, at holding it for a long period of time and, and getting that yield. Yep, okay, Phil? Look, I agree. It is pretty much a bond, inflation-linked bond. So with, with, with traffic recovering in a lot of areas to pre-COVID levels, that's now played out. They'll get CPI uh, rate rises. CPI is nowhere near two to three percent, so they'll start to get that. Uh, the risk got to be to the downside in terms of traffic disruption, and if we go into an economic slowdown, Australia offshore, you can stop driving to work if you can. You'll you'll, you'll take public transport if you can. If you're a truck driver, you can't. Um, so for me, given it's largely bond-like. Just buy a bond. Interest rates are positive now. You can actually you can get you can get a bank. Um, you get a, one of the banks at a six percent dividend yield, fully franked. There's a starting point. Um, both of them have linked to the same economic um, factors that, um, as each other. Uh, or just buy an inflation-linked bond, and you can get decent yields on that now without the um, volatility of um, 
of the equity market. So I, I would call it a hold, no reason to sell it. But um, if you're chasing a, a bond-like investment, you can now actually tap the bond market. The interest yeah, rates have yeah. gone up, so why not? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. All right. Okay, that's uh, Transurban. Let's round it out then. Our last stock to take a look at is Goodman Group. This one picked by Lane. Uh, it is in commercial industrial property, owns, develops, manages warehouses, uh, logistics facilities, office parks, uh, gathered about 17 countries, in fact. Uh, slight beat to there on its uh, guide, um, well, on its results, uh, guidance pretty much in line with expectations. Phil, Goodman Group. It's a great company. Uh, it's been running the business well. It's you know it's not subject to um, their clients aren't going to um, hand back their leases because we're going into a recession. The infrastructure, pro- the general uh, commercial properties that need to be run, unless we go into a deep recession, their customers will all keep paying their revenue. But for me. Uh, interesting part of the result was they're moving to data centers. Um, there's all this talk about um, artificial intelligence and you know more and more people moving to the cloud. Well, we need data centers to support that. You know, as, as someone said, there is no cloud; it's someone else's computer. Um, so as demand for supercomputers um, increases, demand for data centers increases. And they've announced an interesting strategy, not just to um, develop data centers, um, but offer them as a service in what they're calling a, a hyperscale uh, or partnership with their hyperscale operators. So it's an interesting way to play the AI space, mm. so, which is the back end. You can't have AI without the infrastructure. So the company is already doing well, as the share price suggests, in their existing space, flagging, I think, um, $30 billion in opportunities in the data center space. That's very smart and very good timing um, from a very well-run company. So again, bottom drill stock, buy it, put them in the bottom drawer. Share price should be well higher in the next five years if they can execute well. Uh, they've only just announced it, so some yeah. of this is still a work in progress, but right thing, right, right space, right time, if they can execute, which no reason why they shouldn't, uh, it's worth owning. Um, for so, ex- so you're buying at this level, eh? I would, yeah, I'd, yep. I'd call it buy. All right. It, given um, you're saying the uh, the growth potential there of data centers, what about a stock like NextDC? Would would that be a better option? Uh, and that is its business. If this gives you more diversity, so yeah, yeah. you can always do a pure play in data centers. Um, you can buy uh, a couple of other names escape me. Um, it starts with an M. Uh, Megaport, uh, yeah. for example. So they, they've all. You know, they will be a lot more volatile than Goodman Group, who is a bit more diverse, diversified. Uh, but certainly, you need to be. You, you should have some data center exposure in your portfolio. Um, look at an XDC. Look at a Megaport. Um, yeah. A tank has run a long way since um, since its result. In terms of this stock, it's all new earnings, so it should get its proportion share revenue in that space. So yeah, we like the space, yeah. um, and we like that this stock, who's done well. It's in, in its existing categories, is expanding into a massive, massive category. Um, so yeah, like the space and definitely like Goodman Group expanding into that space. David? I agree that it's a very well-managed business and they've done uh, very well over a long period of time, and particularly as far as the, the industrial um, you know, property is concerned, they've done very well out of that with the, the Amazon warehouses uh, in the past and you know, the data centers is a a sensible move for them. One of the concerns I guess that we've got is the construction costs and the fact that they are a property developer and we have got very high construction costs. It's difficult to get labor. Uh, So at the the 
yeah, the, the cost level, they've got pressures there. Um, we've actually recently downgraded the, the recommendation to a lighten, uh, and that's mainly really based on the price that we've seen the, the price rally a fair bit. It, it rallied strongly after the result. Um, think at current levels, it's, it's the sort of price that you can take some profits at uh, and maybe look at, at buying back in at a, at a cheaper price. Um, but we, we do like the business. They're, they're a good business. They've done well over time. Probably mm. just a little bit expensive at current prices. Yep. Okay. All right. That's a light then for you. All right, let's uh, let's round it out. Our last five there um, very much holds, and I guess that shouldn't be a surprise because of the size of these companies, the dominance they have on the index. Uh, Commonwealth Bank there, yeah, look, a double hold. Um, but Philip pointing out is the most expensive of those bank stocks, and also it does it's troubled by that one hundred dollars psychological barrier. So I'll have to sort of see if it breaks above that. Uh, and uh, David also pointing out it is expensive by comparison. Neb, yeah, look, also a double hold. Um, David, uh, at odds, you've got an accumulate there at ANZ and Westpac. Phil tends to agree, given the higher uh, dividend yields there. Uh, and he's saying avoid the smaller end of that sector. Uh, Macquarie, uh, another big one, of course, uh, more diversified, uh, looking at home loans growth there. And that's got hold from both. Um, David suggested perhaps if you want to look at a mini uh, an early days uh, Macquarie, then MA Financial is probably a good one to look at. Uh, Transurban there, um, it is a, once again a hold from both. Uh, that's from Light and from uh, uh, David uh, just uh, changed the outlook there. Good income. Um, Phil pointing out an inflation-linked bond. It's, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, so why not buy bonds instead, essentially? And finally there, uh, Goodman Group, a buy from Phil and a lighten from David. All right. And uh, just a reminder too, because we began with gold. So uh, just to uh, remind you that uh, we do have an investor event coming up on Thursday for the gold bugs and bears, of course. Uh, it's 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll debate what the future holds for gold. Get key stock picks too. Uh, registration gets you entry to watch live or on demand. So you can go for gold. Register today at ospiers.co forward slash gold rush. All right. So thank you to our guests, Phil. Thanks for joining us in Short Partners. Nice beer. Thank you. And David from Audubonet, thanks for dropping in. My pleasure. Thank you. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to osbiz.co forward slash callpicks or tweet us at osbiztv. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next.